Father God, we thank you for the clouds. We thank you for the rain that came yesterday. We thank you for the lightning and the thunder. Um, We thank you for the heat um, and the humidity. We thank you for Tucson. Jesus, um, we thank you for coming and dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for uh, walking in our shoes and knowing our suffering and pain. We thank you for delivering us. Holy Spirit, we come here in a lot of different places. Uh, Some of us are really excited to be here at church in the evening. Some of us are not even sure about the village. We're like, what the heck? Uh, Some of us are um, just trying to hold it together emotionally, and we're not sure we can make it. Some of us are just, our our brains are in a different place. We're distracted. Um, We're stressed out about tomorrow, going to work, um, relationships that aren't working right. Uh, But we're here. And it took us, that took an action. It took us to get here. We're here and we're, we want to be spoken to by you, God. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us courage tonight to believe what's true, to to come open-handed to your word being read over us and spoken over us and sung over us. Uh, Holy Spirit, give us uh, courage to believe what's true and not to hold it against people the way they say it, per se, but that we would listen for your voice. And I ask that in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. So, uh, one of the things I think at least all of us are pretty concerned with, at least I'm concerned with, and that is, how do you change? Like, how do I change? Um, and even those of us who feel pretty well-adjusted in life, we think, yeah, I'm well-adjusted, we still are like, how do I change? There are little things and big things in our lives that we want to change. For some of us, it's like, man, I've been depressed for a long time, and I don't know how to get out of it. For others of us, if it's just like, man, I got some credit card debt, and I'd like to change so i don't get more credit card debt right we we have but we want to change you want to be transformed and often that is difficult for us in fact it's difficult all the time for me to change to really be different um we're in this book called galatians and galatians is a letter written by paul and we asked a few questions about Galatians as we started it, because we're going to finish it, we should see if we actually remember our three questions. So the first question I asked you is, and got you to answer is like, okay, if this book Galatians is written to people in Galatia, where the heck is Galatia? And you all said, where's Galatia? Southern Turkey, Turkey, or if Jeff was here, which he's not, he would, you know, say Asia Minor. Right, which is the same thing. Anyway, so Southern Turkey, Asia Minor. So that's the first thing. So the second thing was, okay, there's these churches in Galatia and they're in Southern Turkey and Paul's writing to them. Uh, where would we kind of get the story of these churches? Like how they started? Like how did these churches start? Where would we look in the book of Acts? Do you remember what chapters? 13 and 14. Say it a little louder. 13. <laughs> So if you want to hear the story of the beginning of the church in Galatia, you can start in chapter 13 and kind of enjoy a pretty cool missionary journey, right? Okay, so the last one, and the one that's really kind of addresses change in our life, is that Galatians is all about the gospel. 
right? This word, the gospel, that we don't use a lot, but the word gospel means what? All right, the good news and victories of Jesus. Let's hear it again. All right, the good news and victories of Jesus. So those are kind of a little, that's a little bit of background about Galatians. Now, if you're looking for Galatians, uh, you can go into the New Testament, which is the second part of the Bible. And I think it's somewhere in 1153, if you get one of those black Bibles, or you could just pull up your Bible app. Um, but I want to start out with this gospel thing, because I think the gospel is key to us changing. And, and so I want, Paul, open, Paul believes this because all of Galatians, the, the book of Galatians is Paul trying to get people back on track because they've sort of left what the true gospel is. And so he opens up the book with, a, here it is, here's the core of the gospel. And so I want to just read verses one through five to you. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. So he's saying, hey, this is who's sending it to you, but inside it, he gives us a clue. He says that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. So we know that part of the gospel has to do with something about Jesus dying because he was raised from the dead. So God the Father raises Jesus from the dead. Then he continues, it says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the, the linchpin of the gospel who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so the linchpin of the gospel is that Jesus died for your sin to rescue you from this evil, this present evil age, right? At the core of the gospel is that. Now, what I want to argue to you is that right there is the key to changing. For you and I to change, to move from a point of depression to a point of joy, to move from a point of no discipline to some discipline, all of these things happen at the cross, not with your willpower, okay? not with you doing something. Now, Paul says that we, that Jesus rescues us from this present evil age. So what is the present evil age? Let me just quickly jump forward before we get to our passage that we're going to land in and read to you Galatians chapter 5, verse 26. And Paul's going to explain to you what this present evil age is. He says, Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So this evil age, this is what it is, is that we live in a world and we are people who are conceited, who spend our time provoking each other and envy each other. Think about it. What's the problem in the Middle East? Well, there's a bunch of conceited people provoking each other and envying each other. What's the problem with the United States politics? A bunch of conceited people are provoking each other and envying each other. What's wrong in your marriage when you're struggling? You're conceited, you're provoking, and you envy one another. What's wrong in the relationships here when things get stirred up? You're conceited, you're provoking, and you're envying one another. This is the core of this present age. And what's underneath that? Selfishness. All those define what selfishness is. Right? That's what God rescued us from. 
That's what he's rescued us from. Now we're ending up this chapter, I mean this book, so we're, we're going to finish up. This is the last time we'll be talking about Galatians for a while. So we're in chapter 6, verse 11, and we, you heard it re- read, and I'm just going to read it again to you, because it's good for you to hear the word of God read over you. So here we go, chapter 6, verse 11, and following. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is new creation, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So if you and I, the key word in this text is new creation. A person who is not conceited and is not provoking people and doesn't envy is a new creation. This is the thing that Paul is wanting all of Galatia to hang on to, is that they are a new creation. But there are these traits of being a new creation. It's somebody who's not conceited, someone who doesn't provoke, right? someone who doesn't envy. But how do you and I get there? How do we become new creation? How do we actually practice these things? Well, I think there are a couple of things that we need to understand. Because a lot of times in our culture, we want to change. We all want to change. And so we are going to figure out how to do it, right? I'm going to figure out how not to be in debt. I'm going to figure out how to, to not be depressed. I'm going to figure things out. And that's a problem. And a lot of times we, are, we go down into our emotions to try to figure these things out. But you have to begin up here in your brain. And you have to begin with the understanding the cross. You have to understand it intellectually. You can't, we can't dive down into our emotions until we understand the cross. And so I want to tell you a little story that will help this illustrate this point to you. I want to go to Matthew. Um, And Matthew is a disciple of Jesus and he writes, a story about Jesus, and in, in chapter, um, I believe it's chapter 16, there's this scene with Peter. So Jesus has been wandering around, hanging out with people, and people are starting to think, man, he's doing all these miracles. He's kind of crazy. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's the reincarnation of Elijah. Maybe he's, they've got all these ideas. So, so Peter, I mean, for Jesus, he asks the disciples a question. This is what he says to them. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And that's awesome, right? Peter says the right thing. He says, you're God. That's basically what he's saying. You're God. You're it in the flesh, in front of me. And a lot of us clap and say, yay, that's good. 
But a lot of people can say that. We say it now. Saying that Jesus is God does nothing, right? But acknowledge the truth. I mean, you have to start there. But it doesn't change you to acknowledge that Jesus is God, right? That doesn't change you. The cross changes you. Understanding the cross changes you. Listen to what happens when Jesus starts just a little bit later after Peter has been, you know, saying, man, you're, we can't go anywhere else. You're the son of God. You have life. You're, you know, you're God. Then in verse 21, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day to be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So poor Peter goes from telling Jesus who he really is, and Jesus saying, you're blessed, to Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan. But you need to understand something. If you are not on the side of the cross, you are on Satan's side. You're on the side of evil, right? So, so you have to understand the importance of the cross is that if you say, oh, the, the cross is not that important, or it's not essential to my life, or it's not what it should revolve around, then you're saying my life should revolve around conceit, provoking, and envying. That's where I should live, right? So, so we, have to, we have to understand that the cross is essential for all transformation, right? Because the cross is where Jesus died for our sin and where we are rescued from this evil present age, right? That's where it begins. That's where it begins. But if the second, if the first thing is we need to understand the cross, the second thing is that you and I have to accept and embrace it, right? It's one thing to say, okay, I get it, Eric. What you're saying is, is if I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead, like his death rescues me from my sin and his death rescues me from being conceited and provoking and envying. Okay, but what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to go about changing this? Well, the next step, kind of going down from your head and into maybe your, your emotions a little bit, is that you have to accept and embrace the cross. Now, in this chapter, there's all this funny talk. Like, and if you haven't been with us while we've gone through Galatians, you keep hearing this word circumcision, and you're like, what on earth did I just get myself into? A bunch of people talking about circumcision. Well, this whole book, the, the story of the church is that the church is Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. Jewish men get circumcised. Well, all of a sudden, when Jesus ascends into heaven and the church starts just going crazy, Greeks and Gentiles start joining the church and following Jesus. And a bunch of the Hebrews are like, well, wait a minute. One of the signs of falling God is circumcision. So if you come into the church, it's nice that you love Jesus and everything, but you should get circumcised, right? A great conversion process, right? Telling adult men they need to get circumcised. I don't think your faith is going to grow very fast. Um, but that's what they, they say. Okay, that's the mark. So Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The circumcision thing isn't what you should be doing. Now, here's why these Jews wanted people to get circumcised. There's a couple reasons. One, they wanted them to get circumcised because the Roman Empire 
said, okay, the Jewish people, they can have protection. So Christians could just be a little sect of Judaism, right? It's okay, no persecution, right? But as soon as you say, no, 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 Judaism isn't, is just the predecessor to Christianity. Just to, it's the, the fulfillment of all of Judaism is in Christ. And the cross is the central part of that. And guess what, Rome? You killed the king of the universe on the cross. And he's God, not Caesar. Guess what happens to you? They kill you. That's just how it is, right? I mean, we were just having this talk while we were moving uh, the uh, blooms and you know, uh, the Sanguins have a dog called Nero, and it's not named after Nero. But the funny thing is that there were a bunch of fire ants around Nero. And I said, well, that seems good because, you know, Nero burned all the Christians as torches. Nero and fire ants. I know you guys don't think it's funny, but I did. Anyway, right? But you're going to get persecuted. You're going to get persecuted. That's what they were afraid of. The other thing is, is that they were want to, they want to say to all their Jewish friends, "Yeah, man, I got a bunch of converts. I got a bunch of Greek men to get circumcised. It's great, right? Like it, it's a boasting thing." Now, the one I want to focus on is the fact that they didn't want to be persecuted. Because here's the thing: when you embrace and accept the cross, you end up saying, "Okay, Christ died for me." There's an implication there, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's, it's kind of this phrase, Christ's life for me, my life for you, right? That when you embrace the cross, you end up with this motto of Christ's life for me, my life for you, or Christ's life for us, our lives for one another. So what happens is that when you embrace the cross, you're saying, I'm going to put to death the conceit, I'm going to put to death the provoking, and I'm going to put to death the envying, And I'm going to pour myself out for you. Because here's the thing. I don't care about you. The reality is, is you don't care about me and I don't care about you. Deep down in my heart, what I care about is if you stroke me and tell me my sermon is good and it makes you, you changed because of it. Not because of the cross, but because I'm a good preacher, right? What I care, I, I don't necessarily care deeply about my wife. What I care about is if she makes me happy and tells me I'm a good person, right? Ultimately, without Jesus, I am conceited and I provoke my wife when I want to get a reaction and I envy a lot of you and what you have without the cross. But what the cross is, is no, 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 no. Eric, you're important simply because I, the God of the universe, had died for you. I poured my life out for you. And so then the call of that cross, Jesus up on the cross, is, oh, Jesus' life for me, the God of the universe's life for me, So my life for you. So my marriage will be good when I walk into it and say, no, hon, like Christ died for me, so my life for you. I'm not going to enter into this relationship so that I'm fulfilled. I'm here to pour out myself for you. Same with parenting. Same with your, you know, relationships that you have at work. Anywhere your, your, your kids, all those things. They are not working when you don't accept and embrace the cross and say, Christ's life for me, my life for you. Now that's not easy, and that's why we don't want to take that step and accept and embrace the cross, because now we have to make this statement, my life, Christ's life for me, my life for you. Right? We have to make that. So number one, we have to understand the cross if we're going to 
live into our new creation. Number two, we're going to need to embrace and accept the cross and its offense if we're going to live into being new creations. But the next part of this passage, you've heard it twice. Maybe you heard all this stuff about boasting in here, right? In fact, Paul says, He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So here's my argument. You want to change. You have to change your boast, the way you boast. Now, I spend a lot of time around 11 to 13-year-olds. And all you have to do is sit down with 11, 13-year-olds and say, Call of Duty. And they say, oh, well, I got 17 kills and only one death. Well, I had 23, but no, but you died 17 times. And, and then you can say, yo-yo. Well, I can do this trick and I can do this trick and I can do that trick. And you, you know what? They will boast and boast and brag and brag and argue and argue and try to one-up each other, right? Now, as adults, what we do is we tell stories. Right. In fact, somebody says, like, I jumped out of, you know, an airplane, you know, I was part of the 82nd Airborne. And then, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I've never jumped out of an airplane, but maybe there's some story that kind of will at least say I'm equal to you or like I'm brave like you or, right. I, I'm not thinking, wow, that's a really cool story. You jumped out of an airplane. I'm like, a lot of times we are trying to, to get some confidence, right? Because what is boasting? It's identity formation. Little 12 and 13-year-olds are forming their identity by boasting. They're, they're getting some confidence about who they are, right? Now, a couple weeks ago, when Rod and I prepared a sermon on the same Sunday and didn't realize we were doing it, we both preached a sermon together, right? And in that sermon, I kind of explained to you what conceit was. That the ancient word, like it's better translated vain glory, or even a better understanding of the word conceit is to steal other people's glory, right? To steal someone else's glory. And that's ultimately what you and I spend our time doing, which makes it very difficult for us to change, right? So what Paul says is like, okay, circumcision, not circumcised, that doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is new creation. The only thing I'm going to boast in, only thing I want to boast in, is Jesus and the cross, all right? The only thing I'm going to boast in is Jesus and the cross. So how does that work? How do you and I end up boasting well? Because I don't think any of us have ever met anyone who boasts well, right? Like, like we're, Usually we don't like people who brag about all the things that they do, right? But what Paul is saying is, where I boast is in Christ and the cross. Well, if you go look up this word boast and just kind of look at all the time Paul says it, it's all over the place. He's like, I boast in the Lord. I boast in, in the cross. I, I'm, I'm talking about Jesus, right? I'm talking about Jesus. So I want to quickly uh, turn to Jeremiah. Chapter 9, verse 23 and following. The ancient prophet kind of explains to us maybe what this boasting kind of looks like. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, 
or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me. So this is speaking about the Lord. And that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Maybe you've heard pastors talk about this passage, but there's a really interesting thing in here is that he's saying the thing that you should boast in is that God knows you, right? That he knows who you are. That seems remarkable. So what Paul is saying is that when I boast about the cross, what I'm saying is that Jesus knows me, that he died for my sin, right? He knows me. Do you, do you understand what, what I'm saying here? Like, don't let it go by. Like, the God of the universe knows you. Like, up in heaven, there's God sitting, angels everywhere. And if I were to somehow manage to sneak up there, I could say, hey, you know, do you know Rod Hugan? And he'd be like, yes, I know Rod Hugan. That's Rod Hugan, for those of you who don't know him, Right? God knows him, but maybe some of you don't. Um, but, but that's crazy. That's, that's a crazy idea. That's the thing to boast in. So here's a couple ways that you can practice it and you can meditate on it. Number one, one of the ways that you can boast in the fact that God knows you and that that's demonstrated for you on the cross is that you can be silent. It's the greatest boast ever, to be silent. So maybe you're sitting with some people and they're telling a story, and the story's a little big for them, right? You're like, I did some of that. Or you just have a better story. Or they're taking credit for a bunch of things that you did. Boasting in Christ would be to be silent. To sit there and say, you know what? Christ knows me. He knows what I've done. The God of the universe knows. I don't need to speak. I know where I'm okay. Silence is a good way to boast. Number two, a good way to practice boasting in the cross is to promote peace and grace. And here's what I mean by that. Most of us boast about other things like being conceited or envying or provoking, those things that we do, like especially with conceit when we're trying to steal other people's credit. The reason we're doing that is we're anxious. Most of us struggle with anxiety, right? We're like, am I okay? Is everybody all right? Like, am I all right? Right? And part of boasting is stepping into the world and saying, you are okay. Christ died for you. And recentering them on the cross, saying, no, no, peace, grace. This is why Paul repeatedly, he says hard things, and then he's like, peace, grace. Everybody calm down. It's all right. Jesus loves you. Right? Peace and grace. One of the ways that you and I can boast is to talk about the peace and grace of Christ and really focus people on the cross. Now, the third way that we can boast is to be honest. Right? Because the cross, you know what the cross says to us? Be honest. Let's not fake it here. Right? Boasting is faking it. Because all of you aren't all that. Right? Right? And so, so let's just be honest. I'm broken. As a pastor, I'm broken, right? I start out when we talk about community telling you, I will disappoint you. I will not come through for you when you want me to. Like there are broken parts of me. I won't always say the right things. 
I'm not always as disciplined as I need to be. Like these are confessions, not things that I just want to live with and be like, ah, whatever, you got to live with it. But no, but they're just the honest things on the table. Here we go. I'm going to be honest. You know, Christ died for these broken parts of me. He had to die. He had to rescue me because I envy some of you, right? He had to rescue me. So being honest is a way of boasting. So how do we get there, though? And we need to get there. We need to center ourselves in that. So there's two ways I think that we can kind of be people who are silent, who promote peace and grace, and who are really honest in, in, in focusing on the cross. And is first off, I think we need to understand um, how to say this. Look, all of us are designed for God to say, good job, good and faithful servant. Good job. And yet, because we are conceited, envy, and provoke, we, we don't hear that. Right? But what the cross says is, good job, good and faithful servant. Like, in Christ, you are whole. There's nothing you need to do. No circumcision. Don't worry about it. There's nothing you need to do to hear the God of the universe say, good job, good and faithful servant. So a focus, if we're going to be people who boast, of focusing in on that cross and realizing the cross is a loud proclamation of good job. Good job. I love you. Right? But the second thing is to understand when we think about the cross, about how brutal it was. Right? Because we forget that Jesus is human. Right? In that divineness, he's human, and his body was torn to pieces for you. There's a bloodiness to it. God's blood had to be spilled and shed. Jesus' blood had to be spilled and shed for your forgiveness. Right? So if we're going to be people who are silent, it's going to be difficult. If we're going to be people who promote peace and grace, that's going to be hard because really when you promote peace and grace, really what you're saying is Christ died for me, so I'm just going to pour out my life for you. Right? When you and I are honest, well, man, that's vulnerable and exposing. Well, we can't do any of that if we can't hear Jesus saying, good job, I loved you, I died for you. Good job. And really see the sacrifice that he offered. I have a few minutes. So is there anything that you guys want to like me to expand on, to you got questions for me, things you... Or like, hey, that why? Where'd you go with that? Why'd you do that? Anything? Any thoughts? Reactions? Arguments? Oh, man in the front row. Okay. Another way of looking at it is that I believe the lie that happiness lies in someplace else. No pun intended. But it, happiness lies within money or. Sure. relationships sure or anything else that leads me to sin sure and it's not on the truth of god yes like that anybody else have any thoughts questions yeah. can you talk more about um well you talked about how we can't change ourselves by having more Willpower, can you talk more about how to let God change you? 
Sure. Um, well, I think you have to begin, like I said, um, with the cross. I think what happens is, is that we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to change. So if you're depressed, like, you know, you need to get to the doctor, which is important. You need to be in therapy, which could be important. But ultimately, the thing that's going to change you is if you draw closer to the cross and what the cross has done and what Jesus has done on the cross. So I would argue that you say, okay, I'm going to put the depression on the side here. or I'm going to put this struggle on the side and I'm just going to say, okay, Jesus, it's about this. What does that mean? A lot of times, our, what we focus in is on our problem and not on Jesus and what he's done. At least that's where I would begin. Yes, ma'am. One of the practical things that when I do it is really helpful is in the moment to ask God, what is the gospel in this moment? As opposed to some broad, like in general. And so when I'm interacting with a person, what is the gospel? Like, what does it look like for me to pour out my life? And it, it, it can look different at different points, but but to let that be the focus of your practical actions. Maybe the gospel is, you know, to to actually, like, step out in faith, or maybe the gospel is actually to, like, take a take a breather, or, you know, I mean, there's just different things that, sure. that the gospel would promote. Any, any other questions, thoughts, comments? Once, twice. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this community. Thank you uh, for your grace and peace in our lives. And I ask as we reflect on what's been said and as we sing and eat together, that your grace and your peace would pour out on us and that we would be attentive to what you're saying. And I ask that in your holy name. Amen.